This is episode 10 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore events podcast. We're finishing up our most recent event, Winter Youth Celebration 2018. The theme was Become, Romans 6, 17-18. Here's session 5 with Katie Faust. Okay. I loved talking to all of you guys afterwards, and it made, it filled in a lot of, I'm like, oh, I should have said that, oh, I should have said that. So we're just going to hop all over today. Um, Let me give you an outline of what we're going to talk about so you know what's coming. So if you have a question about that, you may want to hold it until I get through that section, and then if I don't satisfy you with an answer, then you can pop it up on the screen. Also, um, because we are cheap, we did not buy the moderating version of Slido because it's $200. And people, you can get like 75 iced coffees for $200, okay? And I'm all about, I'm kind of stingy, so I'm like, please don't spend $200 on that. Um, but there was a lot, so that means we can't get rid of certain comments that have been answered or that are duplicates or whatever. So we're starting over today, okay? Because when I looked back at all the questions last night, a lot of them had been taken care of them. Some of them, like we had already touched on. So is there a new code for us? Same code. Okay, but we cleared it out. Um, So let me tell you the outline of what we're going to do. Think about your question, and then if I didn't answer it well, then I want you to put it up on the screen. So here's the outline for today. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about adoption and donor conception and surrogacy. We're going to talk about gender and gender identity. We're going to talk about... Uh, is being gay a choice? And we're going to talk about transgenderism. And then we're going to do, oh, and then we're going to talk about masturbation. Okay? So those are all of the different kind of big themes that came up in the questions. Um, So if you have a question about those things, just hold it until we're done, and then we will get to as many questions as we can. All right. Does that sound, sound good? Are you ready? Are you really glad that you came? Right? Okay, good. Good, good, good. Okay, so first of all, I want to start with Um, You know, it's hard. A lot of you guys came up and talked with me afterwards about, like, the brokenness that you experienced in your own life, the sadness that you've experienced in your own life, um, and what do you do? Like, how do you overcome that? And, And there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of fear, a lot of fear about, like, your future life sometimes that goes into that. So I want to tell you a story about a little boy whose name was Ryan, and he, his parents divorced when he was two. He doesn't really have a lot of memory of them being together. Um, but unlike my parents' divorce, his parents' divorce was not a good divorce. And I say good divorce because for kids, there's no good divorce, right? It always costs them stability. It always costs them at least 50% of a relationship with their mom or dad. Um, but he didn't even have that, right? He had parents that warred against one another. He had parents that used him as pawns against one another. They... they you know, his mother remarried, and the stepfather was not a good addition in his life. You know, there was verbal abuse, there was some physical abuse, there was a lot of drug use, um, and it was chaos. And he, and he longed to be with his father every day, um, but the mom and stepdad had more, you know, more money, could hire better lawyers, and as a result, he hardly got to see his dad. And so he, he's, his life was painful. You know, he went through a lot of his days just being sad and longing to have his parents back together again. Um, and when he was in his home, there was lots of fighting and just never really felt safe. And so anyway, he's about seven years old, and he's playing in the neighborhood, and he meets this kid named Chad, right? And he and Chad become friends. And so he spends a lot of, he starts spending a lot of time with Chad and then going over to Chad's house. And the first few times that he went to Chad's house, they would, like, sit and have a meal together. And Chad's family, like, didn't yell. And they didn't swear. And they weren't smoking pot. And there was so much peace. And when he watched Chad's parents, Doug and Margie, interact, they smiled at one another. You could see them kind of stealing kisses from each other, right? They didn't argue loudly. You know, they would disagree, but they didn't argue loudly. And that seven-year-old boy... Like, when he, he'd only been in the house, like, only been hanging out with Chad for about two or three months, when one day he was at Chad's house, and he was standing in the living room, and he was looking around at this world, this totally foreign world, and he vowed, when I grow up, my house is going to be like Chad's house. My house is not going to be like my house. 
And as a seven-year-old, he said, that is my goal. Things are going to be different. My life is going to be different as an adult. And you know what happened? He met this really hot girl <laughs> when he was a freshman in college and dated and married her. So his first slide or, you know, fourth slide or whatever it is. No, 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 no. Okay, so that's my man, right? Ryan's my husband, and he did it, right? He said, that I'm going to make the life that I wish that I had as a kid, and he did, right? He knew, he became a Christian. Chad took him to Awana, right? And he became a Christian when he was a second grader, and he lived his life differently, and that involved lots of growing and changing, right? He went through a really hard time when he was 16 because his mom was killed in a car accident. And talk about like shock and trauma and massive loss and upheaval and then moving in with his dad who was married to a different woman and they had a baby so he felt like, well, that's their real family and I'm just kind of the third wheel. He didn't really feel like he belonged anywhere. And so he said, you know, when we were dating, I remember one time, like, we had been dating for a few months, and he grabbed me by the shoulders. We were getting really serious, and he goes, do you understand that if we get married, we are never getting divorced? We're never getting divorced. And I was like, yeah, baby, no problem. We're not getting divorced. It's okay. Right? It's okay. But he knew, right? Like, are you in this with me or not? Because I'm not playing around. I'm not playing around. I understand the pain that goes along with that. And he, he said, my children will never experience that. So you have got to be on board. I was like, yeah, baby, you're totally hot. We can do whatever you want, right? And so then we got married, and neither of us had a great, um, we didn't get to see, except, you know, he had, he had Chad and Margie. I had, an, I had an aunt and uncle that kind of modeled for me, like, a great marriage. But other than that, like, we were really stumbling through. The first couple years of our marriage, we're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, how do we communicate? And so we had to be mentored through people in the church. And... People. So next slide, please. Yeah, get off your phone. Next slide. Right? Okay, so this is our family. Right? This is our family, and we've got these amazing kids. I mean, well, we've got three amazing kids. One of them is, we're still working on her. I know, she's amazing. She's amazing, right? And our youngest we've adopted from China, so we'll talk about adoption um, because I am I'm a fan of adoption. Um, and so We've, we did it. You know what I mean? And I look at my kids and their life and the things that they just don't have to deal with, the things that I was trying to figure out when I was in middle school, that they just don't have to, it's not even on their radar. It's not to say that their lives are troubled-free, and it's not to say that we are perfect parents because we are not. Like every week we're like, dang, we totally blew it with that, right? But they're getting the three macronutrients that kids need in their social-emotional diet. Okay, so first message you need to remember is no matter what you've gone through as a kid, you can become the parent that you wish you had had as a child, right? Break the cycle. You have everything in you because of God's truth, because of his Holy Spirit, and because of his church, right? You get those three things, and you can create the health that you deserved as a kid, okay? Let's talk about singleness. So you can live without sexual love, right? You can live an incredible life if you never have sex and you never get married and you never fall in love. Do you know how I know? Because Jesus, right? Jesus uh, was a virgin when he died, right? You know why else I know? Paul, St. Paul. And all of the other examples that you know of people in your life who have never been married who are changing the world. And so Paul actually said, singleness is a gift, right? And I actually don't know, probably should check this out doctrinally before I like make a statement at a CB Northwest Conference, but I don't necessarily know if singleness is like the permanent gift, right? You have the gift of singleness. That means you're never going to get married. What I do know is that if you're single right now, it's a gift. Why? Because you can do things that I can't do, right? My time, you know, if you have this much time in your day, this much of my time goes to kid. This much of my time goes to husband. Because I'm a pastor's wife, this much of my time goes to church. 
and this is how much time I have to write and speak and interview and all the other things that I feel like God has called me to do as a children's rights activist, and I have to squeeze it all into this little time, right? You guys don't have a lot of claims on your time right now. And that's a gift, because if God tells you to do something, you could sit down and do it for six hours. You have this capacity, like singleness, and Paul says this. You know, Paul says the people who are married, they're concerned with whatever their husband and wife needs, because you need to be concerned, right? But if you're single, you can do incredible things. You just have so much more resources in terms of time and energy and attention. So don't squander it. Most of you guys are probably going to end up getting married right? But right now you're in this gifted season where you can hone, right, your character. You can ask God about your calling. Do not wait to change the world. You need to change the world right now. You need to change the world right now. There's things that you got. You have access to things. You're, you have an influential demographic that you have that I don't have. I can't get in there. I can't get into your schools. I can't communicate the way you do, right? God can do something through you that he cannot do through me. And so you have to do it with all your might, and singleness offers this incredible opportunity, right? Okay, adoption. Um, oh, let me say, okay, so you can live without sexual love. You cannot live without friendship, okay? You can live without sexual love, but you cannot live without friendship love. And that is why God, that's why there's no solo Christianity. If you're a Christian, you need to be in a church, and you need to be devoted to that church because that church will be devoted to you. And it's so fascinating that God uses, it's no accident that he uses familial language to describe relationships at church, right? That you guys are my brothers and sisters. I'm supposed to consider older women as mothers, right? And that we literally become a spiritual family because God knows that if we don't have that, we will starve. So you must be connected to a church, whether or not you're married, and I would say maybe even especially if you're not married, right? Because you cannot live without friendship love, and the church had better be the best at friendship. Okay, adoption. Um, so a lot of what I do in my children's rights work is I work with children who have been conceived through reproductive technologies. So children who are born through egg donation and sperm donation and surrogacy, okay? And unfortunately, there is a lot of moral confusion about this in the evangelical world. And that's a little hard for me um, because I feel like Christians need to have the best answers about this. But when you look at outcomes for kids who are conceived through sperm donation, because that's the largest demographic that we have had to study, the outcomes are not good. They're not good. Those kids who are conceived through sperm donation, disproportionately, so it's not a guarantee, nobody's doomed, disproportionately struggle with depression, and anxiety. It's, they say that it's 50% of them say, it's really hard for me to trust my parents. Many of them, 80% say that they would really, they're very curious about and would like to know their donor, okay? These kids have been, like you look at it from a children's rights perspective, you look at it from the perspective of like you're made for your mother's love, father's love, and stability. These kids have not only lost a relationship with their father, but it was an intentional loss. The person that they are living with chose for them to not have a relationship with one of their biological parents, and that's really painful, okay? So in my organization, I'm completely against donor conception, completely against, because it forces the child to sacrifice something they have a fundamental right to so that adults can have something that they want. And a lot of you guys had questions about abortion, too, and they said, well, what do you think about abortion? And here is my answer. No adult should ever ask a child to sacrifice their fundamental rights or needs so adults can live as they please. You are the adult. You do the hard thing. Don't make a kid do a hard thing for you. I am sorry for all of you guys who are here that have had to do something hard because an adult wanted to live as they please. I think that's an injustice. Do not be that adult. Do not be that adult that inflicts injustice on a child so that you can have what you want. Don't do it. So like my pinned tweet for a long time was, children have a right to life, and they have a right to their mother and father. Adults, order your lives accordingly, right? 
recognize these two fundamental rights that kids have, and then adults, you had better bend so that kids don't have to lose that. So I'm against donor conception because it forces a child to sacrifice their fundamental rights so adults can have something that they want, even if it's like a very primal, legitimate want, even if you're talking about an infertile couple who, um, you know, the mom and dad are, I have a friend who was conceived um, using a sperm donor. Mom and dad were evangelicals, went to church every week. Mom felt like she was called to motherhood. Dad was infertile and couldn't have a baby. So she had two kids through sperm donation. And they didn't know, they didn't even know that they were donor conceived until they were 22. Um, but they always felt like something's not right. I just, I'm not connecting with my dad. I don't feel, why don't I look like anybody else in this family except my brother? This is so weird and I just, I don't know. But I'm sure I'm just crazy. And then they found out they were donor conceived and they were like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. And you know what they wanted? They wanted to know their biological father. Do you know why? Because it's the most universal human longing is to be known and loved by the two people who are responsible for your existence. So now we talk about adoption because you'll say, okay, well, if you're against donor conception, right, they're being raised without their biological parents, that means you must be against adoption because those kids are being raised without their biological parents. And I would say, no, thanks for giving me the chance to explain, right? And if you actually want the long form um, explanation, I've written a lot on this because again, I think it's a, an area where there's too much moral confusion. If you go to my website, <coughs> my, organi my organization is called Them Before Us, Them the Kids Before Us the Adults, right? All kids' rights before all adult desires. Um, there's a post that I wrote called Adoption versus Donor Conception. There's a big difference, okay? So you can get all of the kind of ins and outs, but I will give you the cliff note version. Adoption is a critical social institution that exists to give parents to children who have lost them. And adoption should only be sought when every effort to keep the child with their biological parents has failed, right? Or the biological parents are one of the small percentage of biological parents who are abusive or neglectful, okay? In that situation, a just society will care for orphans and mature adults, especially Christian adults, will conform their lives to the rights and needs of this child to have parents, okay? So first of all, we need to see adoption rightly. Adoption is not a means for adults to get kids. Adoption exists to give children parents. No adult has a right to adopt. A child who has lost their parents have a right to be adopted, okay? And so, I actually think that Christians should major on orphan care, especially as it relates to foster kids. I think that's a huge calling, and it's a, it's a costly calling. Now, here's the other thing. I will never tell you that I can fully compensate for everything that my adopted son has lost. Adoption cost him big time. I don't know if he's ever going to get over it. We love him and he belongs to us, right? And, and God help me be the parent that he needs to be. But there is a primal wound that often goes along with kids who have been adopted because their story begins with pain. For them to be in their forever family, they had to lose their first family. And I don't think, I think it's unwise and unkind to minimize that loss. Okay, ah yes, somebody asked a question. It, it, I kind of put that, um, I put up that chart yesterday. Um, I said, you know, which of these would you solve and rape was one of them. And then I put up that chart and you guys couldn't really read the details. Somebody said, how does fatherlessness affect rape, right? And I'm like, ah, I should probably explain that. Um, so studies show that 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. Okay, so men that use violence to get sex disproportionately are fatherless, okay? So it's not to say that there's no rapist that you know, comes from an intact home, because obviously there are, but it's a small, it's a small number compared to the number of kids who were fatherless who go on to become rapists. Okay, now before we get into gender identity, how are you guys doing? Is this okay? 
Is it too, too, much, too much, too fast? Okay, you're all right. Okay, great. All right, because I'm like, man, we don't have that much time. And so my goal, literally, is I want you guys to know more about this than anyone else. Okay, I want you to be the experts in the room. When somebody brings up any of these issues, I want you to have the very, very best answers. So that is my goal, so that's why we're trying to get through this really fast. So before we go on to gender identity, understanding same-sex attraction, and transgenderism, um, let's read 1 Corinthians 6. So if you have your Bible, grab it. If not, listen carefully. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, and we're actually going to start in verse 12. And it's called flee sexual immorality, right? So that's a great little catchphrase, and it's absolutely right. Flee sexual immorality. When you start to feel tempted, bolt the other direction. But I'm actually going to read this for a different purpose. Um, and I want you to, like on your hand maybe, count while I'm reading how many times this passage uses the word body. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, who will also raise, up by his, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, for whom, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay, so I counted eight. So we're moving into talking about gender identity, same-sex attraction, and transgenderism. What we first need to establish is that God made your body. It's not, it's not something to be overcome in the sense that it, it, it actually needs to inform what we believe. Your physical body matters. And a lot of what we're moving into will prioritize what you think about your body over your actual physical body. But your physical body tells you something important about who you are and what your goal in life is, right? It, it's um, Greek philosophers will, will call this your telos, right? Your telos means like, what are you made for? What is your, what's the aim of this design, right? So your body actually tells you something about that. Um, it's really important that we recognize that Jesus came in a physical body. And a lot of the earliest heretics tried to deny that. They tried to say, oh, he, he, it wasn't a real body, right? Like, that's what the Gnostics believed. Like, it wasn't, he was just spirit. They denied his actual body. Believing that Jesus had a physical body uh, is critical to good doctrine. Believing that your body, your physical body, is designed and made for a certain purpose is, is critical to these questions that we're going to answer now. Okay. So, biological sex versus gender identity. So, one of the questions on the slide yesterday is, is there more than two genders? Well, that depends on what you mean by gender. Historically, we have, we have used sex and gender interchangeably, right? So the answer is no. There are only two biological sexes. There is male and there is female. This is not up for debate. There are two scientific ways to determine whether or not somebody is male or female. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to what one of those ways are that we scientifically determine if somebody is male or female? Genetics, okay? So what, when you look at somebody's genes or a cell from their skin or their blood or their saliva, what are you going to see in a guy? Right. 
yeah, you'll see the Y, okay? You're exactly right, right? And for girls, you have two X's, okay? So my, my boys went to public school for the first time this year in Seattle. And I was like, you know, I talk with my kids about this stuff a lot, or they hear me talking about it. And my youngest son, who's adopted, um, he has this amazing brain. He stores information. And my, I know that I'm going to get this phone call at some point because some little kid in his class is going to decide that instead of being Jack, he wants to be Jenny. And then he's, that Jenny's going to get up in front of class, and the teacher's going to say, okay, everybody, this is Jenny. We're going to refer to her as she. She's, you know, Jack is now a girl. And I know that my third grader is going to be like, uh, did Jenny change every cell of her body? Because that's what you would have to do to become a girl, right? And, and he's right, right, that you cannot become a girl unless you literally change every cell of your body. Okay, does anyone know the other way that scientists classify sex? Anyone else know? Reproduction, okay? that at the most basic level, the female is the one that gestates the, the child or the offspring, and the male is the one that fertilizes it, okay? And that those things can't change, right? Your cell structure can't change, and your biological function can't change. Even with surgery, right, you can create a, a cosmetic vagina on a man, but it's not a functional vagina. You're, the body will always consider it a wound that needs to be healed because it's foreign. So there are only two sexes. Now, are there more than two genders? Okay, so what is gender? Historically, we use those interchangeably, but language is um, being, I think, co-opted. And so now gender means how you manifest your biological sex. Right? And maybe how you manifest your biological sex is incongruent, is different from what your body says that it is. And I have a couple thoughts on that. The first one is, if we're talking about getting away from rigid stereotypes, I am all for it. Right? Because there's lots of ways to be a boy. There's lots of ways to be a man. You don't have to play football and love the color blue and go hunting to be a man, right? You can be a computer scientist, and or you could be a chef, or you could be an artist, right? That your hobbies and your interests don't make your, don't determine whether or not you're a male or female. Your body does, right? And there's lots of ways to be a woman, right? I've got a daughter who's very academic, a little more into some girly things, um, and I've got one daughter who I'm like, baby, can we wear a dress just this once? Just once a year. Can you wear a dress? She's like, I don't think so. Right? And she's a soccer mama, and she's, she can arm wrestle any guy in her class and win. And, you know, which one is the girl? Both. They are both the girl. And neither of them have to conform to superficial gender stereotypes to be a girl. So there's lots of different ways to manifest your biological sex, and those do not need to conform to superficial stereotypes, okay? The problem is that we have started to say that just because there's some variation in gender expression, then that is going to determine our biological sex. And that is unscientific, and I, and I know very destructive, okay? And we'll talk a little more about why that is when we get to the transgender section, okay? Same-sex attraction. Is being gay a choice or is it genetic? Because when I was first learning about this and thinking about it, those were the only two options that I heard, right? From my gay friends, they would say, uh, it's genetic. I didn't choose to feel this way. But from the marginal ex like exposure I had to the Christian community, they'd say, well, God doesn't make people gay, so they must be choosing it. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know which one that is, because neither of those seem right. And the good news is there's another option, right? That right now, even if you go to the American Psychological Association's website, who's very left-leaning and um, 
they will tell you there's no genetic basis for same-sex attraction, okay? There's no gay gene. There's nothing that shows that, like, if you have this thing, you will be gay, okay? But that is not to say that it's chosen. So I want to, like, put a caveat out there. The research about same-sex attraction and what goes into it is still very young. They're still doing the studies on it. Okay, so there's still some mystery here. But I think it's, it's, it doesn't serve anybody to oversimplify things, so I want to give you the information that we have. I also want to say that most of the studies that have been done on same-sex attraction are on men because there's a little more predictable pathways for men and their sexuality tends to be a little more rigid. Women, they kind of like get attracted to whatever they're really close to at the time, right? Women's sexuality tends to be more fluid. That's why you'll see women who were gay or are gay who have been previously heterosexual or postly heterosexual, right? That women sometimes will be in same-sex relationships for a while but then back to being with a guy because their sexuality is more fluid, men's sexuality is more rigid. Okay, so I also want to say there's a lot of caveats needed. I'm going to mention lots of different things that tend to contribute to a same-sex or a homosexual orientation. That is not to say that there is a formula if this and this and this and this happens gay, right? If this and this and this and this happens straight. No, there is no formula. But there are common factors, okay? So let's talk about what those common factors are. Number one, it is possible that there are some prenatal hormonal con contributors Right? There's a hormone bath that takes place around 20 weeks in utero um, that could affect a more sensitive disposition um, that might lead somebody to later develop same-sex attraction. Okay? But from what we know in the research, whatever maternal in utero factors are minimal. Okay? You, we know this from twin studies. Okay? If it was all about the prenatal like hormonal stress levels, Every set of biological twins would be gay or straight, and, and that's not the case, right? Right now, it's somewhere between 11 and 50%. So obviously, there's some kind of environmental forces going on. Okay, number two, bullying. Now, I think it's sad and interesting that gay and lesbians focus so much on bullying, and they will say that it was a nearly universal experience. Right? Most of them will say, I, I felt really bullied as a child. And they'll say, because I was gay. Now, here's the thing. You guys are all made for same-sex connection with your peers, especially up until fifth grade, right? Before you hit puberty, you are made for connection with your girlfriends or your boyfriends. And you learn something about yourself. It satisfies this need to be connected with other little boys or other little girls. And when you do not have that, it's not that you stop wanting it. You actually want it more. You know, little boys that ended up growing up to identify as gay will say, I always felt like I was looking in from the outside and they were playing football and I wasn't invited and I just, I wanted to be in that so bad or I wanted to belong and be in their robotics club, but they just kept pushing me out. And it, it just makes you crave it even more, right? Because you're made for it. You're made for it. But if you don't get it, and then you hit puberty, and all of those sexual feelings start to take place, those legitimate and God-given needs for same-sex connection become sexualized. And now, that craving for male connection, or that craving for female connection, is mixed in with sexual desire, right? The third um, component is often a sensitive temperament that some, especially men who later go on to identify as gay, tend to be more sensitive. And so they take things more personally, right? So I don't know if you've noticed, but boys joke around a lot. And sometimes it involves belittling and like, uh, my boys wake up and immediately, it doesn't matter what they're talking about. I'm like, do you want waffles? And like, well, Benjamin doesn't want waffles because he is an idiot. I mean, like, the, the first thing. And I'm like, stop, stop. And Benjamin will be like, you're the idiot. And I'm like, I, 
but that's kind of how boys connect and communicate a lot of the time. Now, a kid with a sensitive disposition, right, they can be really wounded by that and withdraw, whereas boys that are not as sensitive will be like, oh, it looks like I need to work on my comebacks, okay? <laughs> so a sensitive disposition. Um, the next one is family dynamics, okay? So this is especially true with boys that go on to identify as gay. I have yet to meet, I'm sure they're out there. I have not yet personally met a guy who is gay or identifies as gay who had a close, loving, connected, nurturing relationship with his father. That you are made to connect with your same-sex parent. That ideally, all of you guys who are guys have a dad who's showing you that the world of manhood is awesome and then inviting you to come into that world. And for you women, ideally you have a mom who's rocking femininity, right? And like all of, like loving who, that she's a woman and changing the world and, and not thinking that she has to be like a guy to be powerful. And, and then you're looking at that and you're going, that's what womanhood looks like and it's awesome. Okay, like that's why God gave you a male and female parent so that everybody had somebody like them that they could look to, and ideally that adult is pulling you up into their world. Now, if you don't have that, okay, if you don't have that, um, again, that craving and that need does not just go away. So boys who, who have missed out on that relationship with their dad they don't stop needing and wanting and craving and longing for fatherly love. And so, I'm like, is this okay to say at a youth retreat? But one of the most popular categories of gay porn is father-son porn. Because that need for a father gets mixed in with sexual desire. Right? And... They can't, they can't tell the difference between that kind of love, right? They were made for father love and they didn't get it. And now the sexual desire, right, is mixed in with that. Um, for women, sometimes it's that they have had a really bad relationship with a guy. Um, they were involved in some kind of um, sexual assault or sexual abuse and they have learned that men are unsafe and women are just safer. Sometimes it's because they had a mom who um, was really controlling or maybe had some kind of debilitating mental illness and so she was not a woman that they felt like that's womanhood and I'm on my way and then instead they go, oh, if that's womanhood, I don't want anything to do with it. Okay, early sexual experience or sexual abuse. One time I went and listened to a group called Portland Fellowship, um, which is here and it's a group of men who are like, look, I have same-sex attraction, I've lived the gay life, and I don't want it anymore, right? It's destructive, it's not good for me. And so it was a group of guys who were all getting together to say, we are going to move towards, we're gonna move away from basing our entire identity on our same-sex attraction. And they took a poll, there was like 40 of them, and they said, write down the age of your first sexual experience. Right, write down the, the age that you were, the first time you had a sexual encounter, whether it was wanted or unwanted, but most of the time it was unwanted. Do you guys wanna guess at the average age of first sexual experience for the men, those gay men in that group? Who wants to guess the, the average age? What do you think? 10, what do you think? Okay, any other thoughts? Nine, eight? The answer is seven. Okay, so in that group of men, the average age of first sexual experience was seven. Okay, seven-year-olds cannot consent. And, that, and that's the average age, right? So there was plenty of three and four and five-year-olds in that group. Okay, that will, that will tell you a lie about your body, right? When you have that kind of crazy distortion against your physical body, right? That passage we just read said, all other sins are outside the body. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. And those kids weren't sinning. They were being sinned against, right? And it was their body. And sexual sins affect your body in a different way. Okay, pornography. So just like pornography, 
heterosexual pornography will rewire your brain, condition your brain to want a certain kind of woman. Homosexual pornography can condition your brain to long for homosexual sex. And it can really rewire those pathways. And so there's some people that have been introduced to homosexuality because porn led them there and then they started to crave it. And then they acted on it, which reinforced the craving, which meant they watched more porn, more gay porn, which means they wanted it again and again and again, okay? Porn is powerful, don't play with it. Um, and then choice. So finally, most of the, so how many of the things that I've mentioned so far are things that people have chosen? Like porn, right? Really, that's the only thing that you could, that, that they're choosing. And a lot of times it's because it's kind of working their way into their life. Most of these things kids didn't choose, right? They didn't choose to be alienated from their peers. They didn't choose to have a more sensitive disposition. They didn't choose to be disconnected from their father or have, or have a father that's overly critical of them or didn't connect with them, right? Most of these things were not chosen. But then they have these same sex feelings and then you choose to act on them. And just like pornography, right, when you have the craving, any kind of sexual craving, and then you act on it, it will reinforce that, right? And the craving creates choices and behavior, which reinforces the craving. And inside of marriage, it's brilliant. Outside of marriage, it'll destroy you, okay? So is being gay a choice? The feelings are not most of the time. Most of the time, the feelings are not. Interestingly, um, with women, they did a study on college women that showed that a lot of women had never had any kind of same-sex attraction until they went to college and started learning about gay and lesbian issues, and suddenly they're like, hey, I feel attracted to other women. That the introduction of the concept and, and talking about it, in, it sort of lit up this desire in them, right? And so it just shows that men and women are really, really different in that sense. Um, but for the most part, it's not like you're choosing your feelings. Not a lot of us can choose any of our feelings. You don't get to choose who you have a crush on, right? You just choose what to do with those feelings. Okay, let's move into transgenderism. <coughs> Masturbation. <sighs> we'll see if we've got time for questions. Um, okay, transgenderism. This is the new cause, right? This is the new thing that is being pushed really heavily. Um, and the crazy thing about this is, you read these stories and people will say, well, I knew I was transgendered because I was a boy, but I liked pink, right? Or I was a boy, but I liked dancing. And I'm like, I'm sorry, aren't we just supposed to be destroying those gender stereotypes? And now you're letting those gender stereotypes define you? No, you're a boy who likes pink. So what? It's okay. Right? You're a girl who doesn't like to wear dresses and climbs trees and kills it at soccer. That's because you're my baby. That's because you're my girl, right? You know, and so the very people who are saying we need to do, get rid of gender stereotypes will now say if a child falls into these stereotypical patterns and, it's out, and it's, it goes against their biological sex, well, that must mean that that's actually what they really are. A few statistics. Two-thirds of people who are diagnosed with gender dysphoria have other psychological um, diagnoses. It's called comorbidity, right? That people who have gender dysphoria, about 66% of them at least, also have anxiety, depression, some kind of dissociative disorder, or unresolved trauma in their life. And we know stories of people. I actually have a friend, a woman who lived as a man and was on testosterone and actually had a complete hysterectomy done um, and was in line to have a double mastectomy, have her breasts removed. Um, and then she met Jesus and went to counseling and realized that her desire to escape from her female body led back to abuse when she was a child, right? That she felt like being a woman made her more vulnerable to assault. And so this gender dysphoria was actually an avenue of escape for her. And she resolved that and she worked it through. And then do you know what happened? That feeling of being a man trapped in the woman's body, it went away. 
she no longer had those transgender feelings. And so gender dysphoria is very real. The kids who struggle with that, it is not made up. But there's a very good chance that it is a symptom of a deeper psychological issue. And so the compassionate response is to get in and say, what is really going on? What's at the bottom of this? What's going on here at the core, right, that's emanating out and that gender dysphoria might be a symptom of? Now, instead, the world is saying, build your entire life around the symptom of whatever other psychological distress is going on. Um, left untreated, okay, so kids who experience gender dysphoria statistically, by the time they hit puberty, 88% of girls, close to 98% of boys, those feelings will resolve on their own. So if you just leave kids alone and say, you can be a boy any way you want to be a boy, and you can be a girl any way you want to be a girl, we're not going to do any kind of crazy hormones or medical interventions, those kids end up accepting their physical body by the time they're done with puberty. Okay? Um, instead, what we are doing is we are pumping kids full of experimental drugs. Lupron is the most common drug used for puberty blockers. It has never been approved in children. It is used to treat old men with prostate cancer. Okay? Lupron will make your bones brittle. Okay? It will, it will, it will, it, memory loss, let me give you a little list. Lupron, memory loss, risk of stroke, cardiac arrest, cancer threat, skeletal problems, and you know what else? They'll sterilize you. Okay, we don't know how many years, but it could be as short as one year on Lupron, and you will never have babies. And we're giving this to nine-year-olds or 13-year-olds, right? We are saying, so there's a, what's going on with gender dysphoria is there's a disconnect between the mind and the body. And we're saying, let's alter your body to fit your mind. Even though what's going on in their mind probably is a temporary problem that will resolve itself. But, but now, like, you're a bigot if you, say, if, you're, if you say we should withhold experimental drugs from children with gender dysphoria. So instead, we're saying you should have the hormones cross, like, not just puberty blockers, but cross-sex hormones, and then eventually... Surgery, surgery that is not there to fix uh, a medical issue, you're amputating fully functioning healthy organs. So we're making permanent changes to children's bodies to try to resolve what is often temporary emotional struggles. Okay? Now, gender dysphoria is not the only place where there's a mind-body disconnect. We see that in other... Um, Often childhood struggles like anorexia. Okay, so in anorexia, right, there's a disconnect between the mind and the body. The mind says I'm fat, the body says I'm starving. So in that situation, right, if we're gonna take the, this transgender ideology into something like anorexia, we would say, oh honey, you're right, you're totally overweight. Let me hold your hair back while you barf. Okay, that is so unloving. <laughs> Right? You say, I'm sorry, you're not seeing your body rightly. You are dying of starvation, and I am going to get some intervention for you, and we're going to get you treatment. We are going to get your mind to conform to the reality of your body. We're not going to say that your body, we're not going to say that, I'm sorry, we're not going to try to change your body to fit your mind. We're going to try to change your mind to embrace the reality of your body. There's another disorder called body identity integration disorder, and it's where the person believes that they should not have a limb, okay? Like, they believe that they shouldn't have legs. And so there's a movement, right, to, among the BIID community, to have their legs amputated. Like, we have, like, this is who I am. There's a woman named Jewel who said, I believe that I should be blind. And she tried to find lots of different doctors who could blind her because she felt like that was her identity, and finally, she found some guy on the internet um, who helped her blind herself with bleach, right? And she says, I'm happier than I've ever been. This is my true self, right? It's, it's crazy. So in those situations, we say, I'm sorry, but you actually have legs. Those legs are good. Let's figure out what's going on in your mind that's leading you to reject your legs or reject your sight, okay? So we do not, we should not make permanent changes to our body 
to reflect a distortion in our mind because our bodies are real and good and gifts from God, okay? Um, all right, let's hit masturbation. You like that? Let's hit masturbation. Um, and then we'll try to squeak in some questions. Okay, so sex, I, the, the best thing I've ever heard on sex and marriage and singlehood and widowhood and orphans and all of that is this episode of Secret Church by David Platt. And so if you, if you plug in um, David Platt, Secret Church, Sex, Marriage, Singleness, it's like five hours. But you can just listen to it over a month or so. And it's chocked full of the best answers that I've ever heard. But this is what David Platt says about sex from a biblical perspective. Sex is relational, right? We leave our mother and father so that we can be joined to a new relationship, your wife, okay? Sex is exclusive, right? The Bible says don't drink, wa or drink water from your own cistern, Proverbs 5.15, and they're talking about avoiding adultery, right? What he's saying is you all have your own hydro flask. Don't go around drinking out of other people's hydro flask, right? There's plenty of water in your own hydro flask. Be satisfied, okay? Don't run around just being like sip, 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 sip out of every hydro flask, okay? <laughs> Sex is exclusive, Sex is intimate, right? And if, how many of you watched The Dating Project last night? Great movie, huh? Such a great movie, right? And what the professor was saying is like, we're trying to pretend like sex is no big deal, but it's such a big deal because sex is intimate, right? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Like there's love involved with it. Sex is selfless. So sex in marriage is selfless. My goal in sex is not to please myself, it is to please my husband. My husband's goal in sex is not to please himself, it's to please me. That's biblical sex. Uh, it's fruitful, right? Sex has this aspect of making new life, which is awesome. Be fruitful and multiply. Sex is complex. It involves mind, body, and soul, right? Your mind, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, that's like adultery. Body, the body's not meant for sexual immorality. We just read that. Soul, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? That there's this fellowship of the soul that goes along with it. Um, and finally, sex is complementary. It's always going to involve your physical complement, right? That the husband and the wife, the male and the female come back together because, because your body actually tells you something true about sex, which is, guys... You need a compliment, right? For sex to be what it needs to be, it needs to happen with your compliment. Okay, relational, exclusive, intimate, selfless, fruitful, complex, complementary. Let's talk about masturbation, okay? Masturbation is individual. It's not relational, okay? It is something you do solo. Masturbation encourages lustful wandering. It's really hard to self-stimulate unless you are thinking about something else, and usually not the same something else, especially for guys. You kind of have to feed yourself um, something new and novel every time. The same thing isn't going to work over and over. It's fruitless, right? It's, real sex is fruitful. Masturbation is fruitless. Um, it's self-centered. It's not selfless. Real sex is selfless. Masturbation is self-centered. It involves physical isolation, not complex union. Real sex involves complete union with your complement. And do you know, like, if you study porn, um, there's actually a physiological difference that happens when you have sex with a real person is you get this, this feeling of satisfaction, right? And that does not happen. You just tend to be left feeling empty after you masturbate versus when you have sex with your wife or your husband. It is a personal homosexual act, right? Masturbation involves one gender, one sex, one biological sex, instead of being a complementary act. Okay, I'm going to stop. You want to look at questions? Okay. How much time do we have? <gasps> we got four minutes. 
If a person is gay, but they still believe in Jesus Christ as their savior, can they still be accepted in the kingdom of heaven? What do you mean by gay? Okay, so, and we talked a little bit about this last night. Your feelings do not determine your standing before God, okay? And that, like I said, I have friends who the world would say are completely gay, but, and their, their same-sex attraction is still with them constantly, but they say, you know what? That doesn't define me, and that doesn't determine my behavior, right? Just like every single one of you, even if you don't struggle with a sexual sin, you probably struggle with something else that would get you booted from the kingdom of God if you acted on it, okay? Because we have to bring our behavior in line with the gospel of Christ. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So honor God with your body, okay? So cessation of your same-sex attraction is not a condition for either becoming a Christian or entering the kingdom of heaven. Come as you are, right? But this is not a gospel of affirmation. This is not a gospel where God says, I affirm everything that you love and everything that you do and everything that you want. No, this is a gospel of transformation. God accepts you as you are and then puts every single one of us on the path of transformation. And I'm not saying that that means that you become heterosexual. You may not. You may not have heterosexual feelings. But you submit yourself to God and all of your choices and behavior fall in line with his commandments, just like all the rest of us. Let me say something else. If you have same-sex attraction here, if you experience same-sex attraction, or if you have gender dysphoria, if you've got some confusion about your gender, I have a secret for you. You belong with us. Okay, you totally belong with us. Somebody, maybe in the church, hopefully not, but certainly in the world are going to say, mm, nope, you can't, you can't be at church and feel that way. They don't want you. They are lying. We want you, right? And what you're going to find if you're in community and you're being vulnerable and you're sharing is that you're probably not the only one. And let's say you are the only one. You're going to hear all these other people who are really honest about their pretty crazy struggles too. There's nothing special about you. <laughs> There's nothing special about you if you experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, right? The rest of us struggle with something pretty big as well. Okay, so don't think that just because you're struggling with that or you haven't gotten over it that you don't belong here with us. You totally do. Uh, okay, next slide or next question. What if you masturbate without porn just to relieve yourself? Is that wrong? Okay, so you're not fulfilling. Your body's made for a purpose, right? Look at your body. Look what it's made for. Look at what sex is for. Okay, masturbation does not fulfill what God has called for you to use your body for. Here's the other thing. It's addictive. You're going to get addicted. I know a lot of guys, Christian guys, who masturbated regularly, um, and they thought, oh, just until I get married, right? And then they got married, and you know what? Their wife could not compete with them. Their wife couldn't do it better than they could do it themselves. It really, really made it difficult to have sex with their own wife because they had figured out the way that they liked it best, and their wife couldn't compete, okay? All right, next, next question. How can practicing gay and lesbian sex be bad if it doesn't hurt anyone else, even though God didn't intend it that way? Why is it still wrong? Okay, there's a great book um, called Washed and Waiting. So if you're struggling with same-sex attraction but, and you love Jesus, this is the book for you, Washed and Waiting. There's another great book called Gay Girl um, that I'd highly recommend that will be able to go more in-depth to that. But the reality is that when you sin sexually, you sin against your body. Right, you sin against God and you sin against your body. And this is prohibited. There is no way around this. I know that there's Christian leaders who love their gay and lesbian friends and they think the way to love their gay and lesbian friends is to compromise the word of God. Do not do that. Do not do that. You cannot bend the word of God. And it's really uncomfortable, isn't it? It's really uncomfortable. I mean, like I have friends that are going through divorces right now. And they want me to approve of their divorce. And I can't. You know, every time they come to me, you, you don't want to go through a divorce if you're my friend. 
Okay, because I'm like, you're increasing your kid's risk of suicide by 200%. <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, yeah, but he just doesn't understand me. And I'm like, welcome to marriage. There's, there's nothing special about you. Okay, there's always times where we as Christians are going to feel like we need to compromise the truth of God because we don't want to lose a relationship. Don't do it. Don't do it. It is God's truth. It's his business. He will take care of the fallout. But I will say this. Like the temptation to bend words, God's word is really strong. Don't do it. But you need to bend. If in the lives of your gay family and friends, don't bend the word of God, but bend your life for them. Okay? Like if you've got gay and lesbian neighbors, you water their plants when they're gone. You take them soup when they're sick. Bend your life to love them. Okay? Don't bend the word of God. You're just playing with fire. Okay, next question. What are some healthy ways to determine your sexuality and gender if you're confused and struggling to understand your feelings and emotions? Okay. Oh, so good. Talk to someone. Okay, process it out loud with somebody that is trustworthy. Your youth pastor is probably a good choice. But like we said yesterday, first of all, first of all, don't tell everybody. Okay? This is deep and intimate, and you don't want to tell everybody everything. But you must tell somebody everything about your struggles, especially at this age, because here's the thing. Your sexual desires are all over the place, all over the place. It's not unusual for guys at your age to have some flashpoints of same-sex attraction or to have a same-sex experience, right, or to have, like, crazy same-sex urges or just crazy heterosexual urges because you're going through puberty, people. Okay, and puberty wreaks havoc on your mind and your body and your hormones, and it's okay, right? And just because you thought, well, I think that she's kind of cute, does that mean I'm a lesbian? No, just be honest about your feelings, okay? Your feelings don't determine your identity, right? And let's say you do have like a same-sex experience, right, where you kiss somebody at a party. It doesn't mean that you have to march in the parade, and that's, that's not your whole life. Like, I've met kids who are like, oh, my gosh, I kissed this girl at a party when I was drunk, and does that mean that I'm gay? But I, I don't really think that I am. I'm like, no, you kissed a girl at a party, okay? Your identity is determined by what Christ says about you, okay? But, but you can be honest about how you're struggling and how you've failed or, how, or your questions, but process that through with a trustworthy adult and trustworthy a trustworthy peer, maybe. Okay, and then we probably have to stop. Um, maybe we'll do one more question. Can a same-sex couple take on both roles you talked about yesterday? You would think so, right? Because very interestingly, especially if you look at like lesbian couples, there's one that tends to look more masculine, and there's one that tends to look more feminine. It's as if, even in same-sex relationships, there's a need for complementarity, right? because there is a need for complementarity. No. One of the things that I do in my organization is I record stories of kids who have lost a relationship with their mother or father. So I've got a category of kids who are donor conceived. I've got a category of kids' stories who lost a parent through divorce or abandonment. And I've got a category of stories of kids who were raised by same-sex parents. A lot of times those same-sex parents were really loving. You know what they wanted? Their missing parent. So the biological connection matters, but also, oh my gosh, I had this kid, this 15-year-old kid write me like, and say, I, I have two moms, and I'm so depressed because I look at all of my friends who have dads, and I think, why can't I have a dad? Where is my dad? I want a dad. I mean, I have, and we messaged a little bit, and he goes, one of my moms is my biological mom. She's really girly, and the other one is butch, you know? And he's like, but I want a father. I want a dad. So no, just acting a certain way doesn't make you a dad. Dads are dads. Moms are moms. Okay, I think that that's it. Um, okay, let me give you a quick, if you want more information on this, okay, if you want more information on any of these topics, one of the best places to go is an organization that I work for called Cana Vox. Cana as in the wedding at Cana. Vox is Latin for voice. All of you homeschoolers are taking Latin, classical educated, you're like, I know what Vox means. Okay, Cana Vox, C-A-N-A-V-O-X dot com. You go to our reading groups, 
click on that link and it'll take you to our reading list and you will see topics addressed right from transgender ideology to same understanding same-sex attraction to loving those with same-sex attraction um, to things like donor conception and adoption right so most of the topics we pornography is in there most of the topics we've hit on you're going to be able to find in my opinion the best free articles on the internet on that site and they are based on natural law so everything most of what i've been talking to you about is based you notice i'm not making biblical arguments for as much of this I'm making, law, I'm making an argument based on natural law, the law that can be observed through nature. Okay, so that's what you're gonna find at canabox.com. And then I do some videos for them, so there's also a place where you can watch some videos that I've done on different questions and answers. Um, and if you wanna contact me, um, it's really easy. My organization is thembeforeus.com. My address is katie at thembeforeus.com. So if you have other questions, you know, I'll try to get you like resources or whatever. So anyway, oh yeah, and do me a favor and change the world. Okay, go change the world. Okay, thank you. <laughs>